Good morning. So glad to have you with us today. I'm also excited because our kids stay with us today during worship. Rather than being dismissed for kids' crew on the fourth Sunday of any given month, they stay with us. And so I'm excited that they're going to be a part of our service and get to hear the message this morning. Uh, I also want to encourage you, just as you, as you grab your worship guide and you pull it out, you're going to want to keep notes on the back of that as we go through the message this morning. On the inside of that, you're going to find a several announcements and different things that will be useful. We'll point out some of that more specifically in a little while this moment, but I want to take just a minute to say that if you are a guest, a newcomer who's worshiping with us this morning, we would encourage you to fill out one of the guest registration cards. These are located throughout the sanctuary in the backs of the pews. You can just grab one, take it, and fill it out as you leave this morning. If you would drop that in the offering boxes that are located in our foyer, or if you prefer, we have created more of a uh, contactless, if you will, method for you to be able to share that same information with us. This also will be good for those who are listening this morning to our local broadcast on 105.5 FM, that if, if you would go to our website at fbcchickasha.org slash connect, there is an online web form, a simple web form that essentially has the very same information as what you'll find here. You can fill that out, submit it. It'll come to us. It's a great way for us to connect with you, to connect you with ministries in our church, group that you might study the word with. If you're looking for you know, a specific type of ministry, a place where you can volunteer, if you have prayer requests, there's all of these things that are mentioned on this card that you can indicate, you can share that information with us. We'll be able to follow up with you. And, and we want more than anything to be able to connect, help plug you into our church and and get you connected to what God is doing in the life of First Baptist Church. You know, if you're like me, you probably have a membership in a variety of different things, right? Uh, we, we know that, you know, we, we've got memberships to the YMCA, and you have memberships to uh, Sam's Club, and you may be a part of Rotary or Lions Club. If you're on social media, then you're in social media groups that you're a part of. Maybe you have groups that are related to your, your profession or groups that are related to certain hobbies that you participate in. We, a lot of us are, are members or parts of a, a number of different groups in our lives. And so we're used to the idea of membership in these different organizations. We're also used to membership in the church. If you've grown up in the church, then you're familiar with the idea of membership in the church. But the thing I want to point out specifically this morning is that membership in the church is different from all of these other types of organizations and things that we're a part of. And a key part of what sets membership in the church apart from, let's say, membership to the Y or membership to... another organization, is the mission of that particular organization. Not, I believe in the mission of the Y. I believe in the mission of Rotary and Lions and Kiwanis. And I believe in the mission of other professional organizations. All these groups have missions and they serve an important role and an important purpose. But the membership in, our membership in the church serves the mission of Christ, which is altogether different and, and I think you would agree with me, greater than, higher than the mission of these other organizations. Last week we saw that a commitment to Christ is really a commitment to the church. That there there is no separation between the call to follow Christ and the call to be a part of the church. And so it makes no sense that we would be simultaneously a part of the body of Christ because of our faith in him and then somehow separate from the body of Christ, right? A, a limb that is cut off from the rest of the body dies. It doesn't, it doesn't grow. It doesn't function. And so in order to fulfill our purpose, we need to be connected to the body. We want to be connected to Christ. A call to Christ is also a call to be a part of his church. 
There's a, an author, a, a pastor and an author named Jonathan Lehman who's written a book called Church Membership. And this is what he says specifically about the idea of church membership in his book. I thought this was really good. I wanted to share it with you. He says that the Bible doesn't talk about church membership quite as you might want it to. It talks instead of how God's people gather together under his supreme rule. Well, certainly, if you're a part of another organization, when you gather together with that group of people, you don't gather together under the supreme rule of that organization, right? You wouldn't go back. If, if you showed up one day to, uh, to, to a meeting of one of these clubs and they start talking about how you need to be submitted to, surrendered to the supreme rule of that organization, you would say, and that was my last meeting, right? But when we speak of membership in the church and the supreme rule of Christ in our lives, we understand that The rule of Christ in our hearts is something that brings life and peace and joy and fulfillment to us. And so we gather together and we willingly, we gladly submit to the supreme rule of Christ in our lives over us, knowing that it's through that submission to his rule that we find life, that we find peace, that we find our mission to live as believers, as Christians, followers of Christ. And so if you're looking for a chapter and verse in the New Testament that says, you know, and the disciples walked the aisle and joined the church, you won't find it. It's not there. Let me just give you the spoiler alert, right? But if you are looking for membership in the church under this guise, this understanding that membership is about submission to the Lordship of Christ and membership is about us uniting together around the mission of Christ, then you will find church membership page after page of the New Testament. And that's what we're going to look at again this morning over the next few weeks. Last week, we focused specifically on the the, the call to Christ being a call to the church. And this week, we're going to focus specifically on that a call to the church is really enlistment in the church's mission, which coincidentally, is the mission of Christ. And so we're going to look specifically at what the mission of Christ is for us, what it teaches us. We're in a sermon series right now where we are studying the doctrine of church membership. Doctrine is just a fancy word that means what the Bible teaches about church membership. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be diving deep into what the Bible teaches, the New Testament specifically teaches about membership in the church, membership in the body of Christ, membership in the local church body. And as we study this and as we look at it, we're going to answer some really important questions. Today's question, if you will, today's main idea even. This is printed on the backside of your your worship guide there where you can follow along. It says the main idea of the message. The main idea of today's message is that a commitment to Christ, uh, excuse me, a commitment to the church is a commitment to Christ's mission. That as we come to Christ, as we saw last week, we're united with the church. Well, now as we commit to the church in membership, we are being called to the mission of Christ. Well, what does that mean? What is the mission of Christ? Well, there are two key points that I want us to see that, that have to do with this mission of Christ today. And as we look at each of these, then we're going to see some sub points that are just intended to demonstrate or illustrate, further prove what, what it means for us to accomplish this mission of Christ. The first thing that we see is that the the mission of Christ is that we would reflect the gospel, that we would reflect the gospel. Look in Matthew chapter 16. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, where we see this idea that we are called as followers of Christ to reflect the gospel for the world around us. 
We read in Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This is an important question that Jesus asked his disciples. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so Jesus is asking his disciples pointedly, Who do you say that I am? Jesus knows that this is a key question for them to consider. That this is ultimately the question of faith. And Peter speaks boldly with faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The the question of why should we become members of the church is is really answered by what Jesus is pointing to in this text. Why should you join the church? Why should you commit and become a part of the church and and begin to live out this mission of the church? Well, Jesus addresses this issue head on by dealing with faith, by dealing with matters of faith. Faith ultimately drives us to know Christ and faith causes us to reflect the gospel. We're, We're called to reflect the gospel for others to see. Jesus pointed out in Matthew chapter 5 as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount that we're to let our light shine in the darkness. Well, the way that we let our light shine in the darkness is by reflecting the gospel for others to see Christ in us, to see through our faith in Christ, to see the gospel lived out, the gospel, if you will, with skin on as we, as we live it out. And so the local church We as a church bear witness to the gospel by reserving membership in the church for those who profess faith in Christ. By reserving membership in the church for people who confess their faith in Christ, we are creating what is called a regenerate church membership. That's a mouthful, I realize. That's a a fancy way of saying this. That the people who belong to the church, rightly belong to the church by faith, are people who have confessed Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. We have turned from our sins and turned by faith to Jesus. That's what it means to be regenerate. It means that we've turned to him for the, for the forgiveness of our sins, for a renewal of life as he's given us a new life through faith. And so the gospel give us two examples of how this happens. Two specific ways that the gospels point us to Jesus teaching his disciples about how, as believers, how we, we demonstrate the, the gospel in the way that we, that we reflect the gospel through living in life with one another as the body of Christ, being connected together as the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 16 is one of those instances where Jesus says that it's on this confession of your faith. That's what he says to Peter. Peter, that man didn't reveal this to you. Flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he says to to Peter that on this rock, on this rock, on you, on this profession of your faith, Peter, I'm going to build my church. The church is built on the profession of faith of everyone who trusts Christ as Savior and Lord. And there are two ways as a church 
that we, that we do demonstrate this. Two ways that we, that we reflect the gospel actively through our life together as a church. Those are what we refer to as the ordinances of the church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now this may be a new way that you, for you to think of it. So let me, let me dig a little bit deeper. Let me dive a little bit further in, into what I mean by this. That we reflect the gospel to the world around us by, by practicing these ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Let, consider baptism for a moment. When we, when we baptize someone, we practice what is called believer's baptism or credo baptism, meaning that the people that we baptize are people who have made a profession of faith. There are other denominations that practice baptism differently. And so maybe you grew up in one of these other denominations that uh, maybe, they, uh, maybe they baptize children. We call that pedo-baptism, meaning just child baptism. You've maybe even heard the phrase before, infant baptism. Uh, there are other denominations that baptize using a, a different mode of baptism than we do. They don't dunk or do it by immersion the way that we do. But the reason we baptize the way we baptize, meaning that we baptize people who have professed faith in Christ by immersion is because we see that as a person's public profession of faith. And so just as Jesus was buried and raised from the dead, we see the, 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 the dunking, if you will, the baptism, the immersion as a symbolic profession of faith that we have been buried with Christ and given new life through faith in him. And Romans chapter 6 points this out for us. In fact, I want to read together Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. And as we read these verses together, I want to, this is what I want you to specifically look for. There is specific language in Romans chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, that we use when we baptize someone. And you'll find this familiar. I want you to see this and see if you can recognize this familiar language that we use in, our, in, in, in baptism. We practice baptism in these verses. Romans 6, beginning in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is what Paul is saying, is that those who have been set free from sin through faith in Christ have been given a new life in Jesus. And baptism is symbolic of that. Baptism reflects that fact. In other words, baptism reflects the gospel by serving as a demonstration of our faith that we profess in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we only receive for membership into the church people who have been baptized as believers because we see that as an important way that we as a church reflect the gospel. But I told you there are two ordinances. The other ordinance is the Lord's Supper. Let's, let's, let's understand why the Lord's Supper, or maybe I should say how the Lord's Supper reflects the gospel for the world to see. Every time that we gather together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we profess our faith in Jesus Christ. We profess that we, we have trusted him as Savior and Lord. This is, what, this is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you can turn there, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I've also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There it is. Do you see that? As often as we do that, we proclaim the Lord's death. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we proclaim our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He goes on to write in the next verse. Whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so we should examine ourselves, is what he would go on to say in the next verse. Examine yourselves that you might not be guilty of an unfaithful witness to your faith in Jesus Christ. So as we gather together, every time we come together, we profess our faith. I should say every time we come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper, we profess our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Notice the word, if you go back and look in verse 24, he says, this is my body, which is for you. Those are key words, for you, that that show us This ultimately is a demonstration of faith on behalf of those who have trusted Christ. Just as Jesus said to his original disciples who professed their faith in him, this is for you. I'm doing this for you. I'm giving up my life. I'm I'm going to the cross for you. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we are acknowledging that by faith we've trusted in Jesus. By faith we have turned our hearts and our lives over to him. By faith we have surrendered and submitted to his lordship. And so now truly, his death, his burial, his resurrection are are effective or effectual for us by faith. Which is why it's important that we would examine ourselves. That we would look deeply as we we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That we would say, Lord, I don't want to be an unfaithful witness to you. I don't want to be an unfaithful witness to your gospel. I want to reflect the gospel in a way that others would see Christ lived out in me. So together, baptism and the Lord's Supper are means by which we reflect the gospel to the world around us. But there's another way that the New Testament tells us that we reflect the gospel to the world around us. And that is through church discipline. Now this one, I'll I'll admit, I'll even confess, this one is one that we struggle with a little bit, especially as Baptists, because we don't practice church discipline uh, actively, at least not in the way that, that, that you perhaps have seen some other denominations do. Now, we have practices for church discipline, and we have followed those practices before. But let's talk a little bit more about what, what do I mean when I say that by practicing church discipline, we're actually reflecting the gospel to the world around us. Well, church discipline is a means by which we show others Christ by protecting the witness of his body, the church. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And beginning in verse 15, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between the two of you, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if you too, if the two of you agree on anything on earth, 
Ask, and it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For whether two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So Jesus is again teaching. In fact, Matthew chapter 16 and here again in Matthew chapter 18, these are the two places in the Gospels where we see Jesus specifically teach about the life of the church. He specifically uses that word church even that we talked about last week. Jesus is teaching specifically about the church. And notice that in both instances, he uses this language, which at first may seem rather strange to us. In Matthew 16 and again in Matthew 18, Jesus talks about whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is he talking about when he talks about binding and loosing? He's actually talking about the authority and the responsibility that are given to the church that we would safeguard the witness of the gospel through the means of discipline, that we would use even discipline as a means by which we safeguard and protect the witness of the church so that if someone refuses to refuses to live in a way that is repentant and refuses to live in a way that they, that they put the unity of the body above their own selfish pride, if a person refuses to live in such a way that they will put aside Uh, differences that they have with others and work through forgiveness and repentance just as Christ has forgiven us, then we're to treat that person as though they were not a believer at all because the very fact that they refuse to live in unity with other brothers and sisters is a sign that they don't possess genuine faith. That's what Jesus is ultimately teaching here in Matthew 18. And this language then of binding and loosing is his way of saying that the authority and the responsibility falls to the church to you as the body, to reflect the gospel by determining, by demonstrating who genuinely have faith. And so we have this responsibility. We have this, even this authority that's been given to us as a church by Jesus himself, that we would reflect the gospel and that we would make sure that we preserve the witness of the church, the witness of Christ, by caring ever so much and persevering together, even through hardship and trials and ups and downs, and working to repent and live in unity so that our witness might be a witness that reflects the, the faith that we have in Jesus to the world around us. This past year, I celebrated my 20th year in ministry. This has been my 20th year in full-time ministry. And over those last 20 years, over, the, over time, there have been uh, uh, several occasions Thankfully, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful, not, not a lot, but there have been uh, numerous instances over 20 years of ministry where I have had to be a part of church discipline against someone. And I tell you, it doesn't always end the way that you wished it would. Because first of all, you hope that it would never get to the point where you have to, as he says, treat someone as a Gentile or a tax collector, which means that we would, we would treat someone as though they weren't genuinely a, a believer. We would remove the, the, the fellowship of membership from them. and That's happened a time or two. And I can think of one time in particular, one specific instance where there was a young man. This wasn't at this church. This was at a previous church where I served. There was a young man who... I won't even go into all the circumstances, but through a series of circumstances and and his refusal to acknowledge some wrongdoing and some things that he had done. And this isn't just like, oh, I I gossiped. I mean, this was some some serious, heavy, consequential things. And because of his his refusal to acknowledge these things, we had to uh, we had to remove him from the membership of the church. We had to 
we, we had to essentially, is what Jesus would say, we had to recognize that by all signs, by all means, he wasn't, he wasn't a believer in Christ because the, the signs, the witness of the gospel wasn't there in his life. And that was heavy and that was weighty. And it was, honestly, it was painful to walk through that, to have to sit down with the young man and essentially say that from this point forward, we're gonna, our, our relationship with you is going to be as though you are unsaved, as though you are one. And we're going to work actively to love you to Christ. We're going to work actively to reach you with the gospel. But we see in your life these things that are happening and this brokenness, and it grieves us to, to have to walk down this path of discipline with you. I'm grateful that in this particular instance that I'm speaking of, that young man some months later, came to a point where he, he recognized his own need for the gospel and he confessed his faith in Christ and he went on to repent of that and make things right. We received him back into our fellowship and then some years later, as he grew in the faith, God sent him out to become a church planner in the Pacific Northwest. And to this day, he's living in the Pacific Northwest and he's a part of a church that's been planted there, multiplying the gospel, reaching people. And, and so there are times when, when the way that we do this leads people to recognize, even in their own heart and their own life, that they're not a believer. That was one such instance. There are other times when it's painful, when it's hard, it gets messy, it gets ugly. And, and though no one in the church wants to walk through that, we've been given the responsibility and the authority by Christ to preserve the witness of the church. And church discipline is a means by which we do that. It's a means by which we reflect the gospel. So we, we accomplish the mission of the church by reflecting the gospel. And as I said, there's another way, through advancing the gospel. Through advancing the gospel. We reflect the gospel And we advance the gospel together. If you're still in the book of Matthew, turn to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, we find the words of Jesus as he's ascending to the Father that we refer to as the Great uh, Great Commission. And Jesus is giving this instruction to his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The way that we advance the gospel is through making disciples, that we make disciples. And so even here at First Baptist Church, we have, we have carefully constructed a mission statement as a church that is intended to be a reminder to us, a call to arms, if you will, that we would be a people who advance the gospel through making disciples. And so this is what we say. We say that the mission of First Baptist Church is to love all people to faith in Christ and to multiply disciples. I say that to you nearly every week. I'm very intentional about repeating that again and again because that mission statement is our call to action. That we recognize that the reason we exist as a church is to advance the gospel in this world for the sake of Christ. To advance the gospel. And we do that through loving people to Christ and multiplying disciples. That's the two components. So let's break that down and consider that. What do we mean when we say loving all people to faith in Christ? I want you to think of this as the evangelism component of our mission. That the evangelism component of how we advance the gospel is through loving people, through, through living out our faith and loving people to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22 Paul says that I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel. We become all things to all people that by any means we might save 
some. Now, we know that we don't save. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that we might point other people to faith in Christ. And so we do whatever is necessary. We will, we will do whatever it takes to love people with, to, to faith in Christ, to love all people to faith in Christ, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they're from, regardless of their language, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their, uh, their socioeconomic status, regardless of those things, we recognize that we have been called as a body, as a people, to love others to faith in Christ. And so we make it our mission, we make it our aim to love people with the love that Jesus has given to us. And I want to say this morning, if there's never been a time in your life when by faith that you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I would encourage you that you would make today the day that you surrender your life to him. If there's never been a moment in your life when by faith you have confessed him as Lord and Savior, you have surrendered your life to his lordship, then would you make today the day that you surrender your heart and your life to Jesus? Would you make today the day that you confess your sins to him, that you repent and turn from your sinful ways and you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior? In a moment even, we'll have a time of invitation, a time of response where we will invite you to come, take one of our pastors by the hand and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior today. I pray that you would do that because we believe that we exist as a church to love people to faith in Christ. Second part of that, the second component, if you will, of that, that part of the mission is that we would multiply disciples. Not just add disciples, but multiply disciples. That's the